Uh, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 1. We are talking about uh, this idea of being a team. And uh, teams look a lot different in the different, uh, different aspects of life. I mean, our, your, your family, in one sense, is a team. Some of you may actually play on teams like sports teams. Um, but we as a church are one way to think about a team. And so this whole series, we've been looking at kind of an honest look of who we are as a church where we're going, where we've been, and uh, what it looks like to be unified. Because uh, if we're going to be the body of Christ in this world, we've got to stand together, we've got to move together, we've got to be on the same page with what we're doing. So today is really a continuation of last week's message because the text we're looking at is literally, we're going to start in verse 27 that we read last week and then look at the next three verses. Um, it's it's uh, literally part of the same sentence and idea but Paul's remind us that our church, for us to be a good team, we have to think about the opposition. Okay, the first week we looked at the reason, then we looked at uh, the name, and now we're looking at the opposition. Okay, every team has an opponent to play, and we are no different. Paul tells the church at Philippi three ways that they should approach their opposition. So we're going to read 27 through 30. I'm going to pray, and then we'll come back and look at it. All right, verse 27, just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you standing firm in one spirit and one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him since you were engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have now and continue to have. So let me say a word of prayer. God, we do thank you that, we, that you've given us your word. You haven't left us to try to figure out life, to figure out who you are on our own. But God, you've given us your word to, uh, um, to declare your goodness and to show us your character so that we might know you. Father, today, as we study this passage, I pray, God, that we're challenged uh, to live differently, having opened up your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I can remember playing basketball um, at home. This is, a, this is a bring it in. We're talking about sports. So I know you are tired of hearing. If you're not a sports person, you're probably bored to death with all my stories. But get over it, all right, because we're doing a sports series. So I can remember, my ju- I think it was my junior year, uh, we were playing at home against Tanner. All right, and so Tanner had like six guys on the team who could dunk. We had one who could kind of dunk. Okay, they had six guys. Now, of those six, three of them could rip the goal down. I'm talking about destroy a dunk. And so, uh, there. I mean, literally, in Mormon, y'all know how. If you didn't play basketball, you might not know this. Uh, Dunks are not allowed in high school basketball games during warmups. Okay, it's actually a, a technical uh, if you do a dunk in your warm-ups. But the refs know they like to give us room to play. So the refs will actually hang back in the locker room for five to seven minutes during warm-ups, and they can hear it. They know what's going on. They can hear the rims rattling and everybody cheering. But then they come out, and then we all we just do layups, right? But this game in particular, y'all – we're do we're literally we're doing layups and I'm slapping the backboard, you know, thinking I'm real cool and we're stretching and stuff. They have a guy who jumps from one foot inside the free throw line. I'm not making this up. Does a three sixty and dunked it and hung on the rim for a bit and then dropped down. The reason I know that is because I was watching him and not doing warm ups. 
right? I mean, the whole time we're down there just getting hit in the face of the ball, right? Like it was just, we, we were so, we were watching them more than we were warming up, but there was something happening in those warm up drills. We were getting more and more intimidated with every dunk. I mean, our fans are cheering for them because it's so impressive. And so we got out, we got intimidated. The whole first half was awful. And coach came in at halftime and he knew it. And he told us, you are playing terrified. From the warm-ups on, you've been scared to death. Now, I'll be honest. I'm not proud to admit this. That's how I feel in life sometimes as a Christian. If I'm not careful, I will live my life totally defeated before the game ever begins. When I get up in the morning, sometimes I've already given up on being used by God. I've already decided in my mind, I'm, I'm just going to do whatever I want today. Sorry, God, you don't have today. I'm down from the start. Anybody resonate with that sometimes? There's no need in sharing your faith today. They're going to say no anyway. Right? There's no need to try to live right. I promise you, you're going to sin before the day's over. Why would you try to live different at your workplace? Everybody's going to make fun of you and just make your day even worse than it's already going to be. Right? These are real things. And if we are honest, this is where we can find ourselves. But listen, that's not a good place to be. I think we all know that. Because just as Coach Sanderson of Ardmore High School told us at halftime, you're beat before the tip-off. As Christians, we can't live beat before the tip-off. This is what Paul is addressing in this passage. How do we face the opposition? Opposition as a Christian is real. It's a real thing. And Paul's going to give us some really good and even kind of surprising advice by the end, okay? If you remember from last week, Paul's showing the church at Philippi how they can live their lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we talked about two things last week. We talked about standing together as a church, and we talked about moving or wrestling or contending together. And so this week, what Paul is saying is as we are standing and as we are contending, there will be opposition. Because it's easy to stand and move together when nobody's fighting against you. Practice is easy. But when the opponent comes in, it gets difficult. For the church at Philippi, he is speaking of persecution. I told you guys this last week. Philippi is like a kind of an important city in the Roman Empire. As such... There's not a lot of Jews there, okay? The more important a city was to the Roman Empire, the Jews avoided those places, okay? And so there wouldn't have been a whole lot of Jews, and it would have been a highly Gentile area. That's a church word for non-Jew, okay? So it would have been a lot of Gentiles, a lot of Romans, a lot of, uh, a lot of people who aren't familiar with the God that we worship. And the church that had grown and was meeting in Philippi would have been similar. There would have been a few Jews but it would have mostly been made up of Romans. Now, so what this means is, is that though Jesus, during his ministry, he was persecuted by who? The Jewish leaders. He was persecuted a lot by them. The church at Philippi is probably experiencing more persecution from the Romans. Okay? Now, here's what you need about the Romans. They thought it was absolutely ridiculous that there was only one God. How in the world could you think that one God keeps everything going? Because to the Romans... There were hundreds and hundreds of gods, right? And so Christianity to them was silly. The persecution that the church is facing is not from the Jewish leaders probably, 
that had become Christians, uh, that were mad that they had become Christians, it's probably from those who were bought full and wholeheartedly into Roman polytheism. So just, just that's just background. So Paul says that they knows that they are facing persecution, and he gives them three ways to face it well, and I believe he extends it. I believe this is good advice for us today. So Paul says the first thing, church, be fearless. If you're a note taker, there was, should have been notes on your seat when you came in. Church, be fearless. Look at verse 28. Paul says, not being frightened in any way by your opponents, by the opposition. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God. Paul says, don't be frightened in any way by your opponents. The, just fun fact for Bible nerds. The word that Paul uses here in the Greek that gets translated terrified isn't used anywhere else in the whole New Testament, which actually makes it really hard for translators. When there's, when there's one word that comes up one time, they don't have a good context of what that word is. But this is a word that got used a lot of other places in a lot of other literary works and letters and things like that because it has to do with horses. Any horse people? One. one. All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring the Buckleys up to handle this part. All right, no. Um, but just, just that one. Okay. Uh, so I know nothing about horses either, but the image behind this word is the idea of a startled horse. What I, what I do know about horses is that even a well-trained horse, if it gets startled in just the right way, even it will throw a rider, right? It will throw whoever is riding it. That's why the King James actually translates this as terrified. Paul knew that the church in Philippi would naturally be startled and scared when they experienced persecution from the world around them. That's the natural thing. Somebody's threatening you, someone is putting you down, you're going to naturally be fearful. But Paul is challenging them in the midst of that to be fearless in the face of persecution. Um, I had heard of, uh, of, a, of a preacher from the 1500s named John Knox, but I knew nothing about the cat. Uh, some of you guys may be John Knox scholars. Praise God for you. But I, I, don't, I knew nothing about him. All I knew, well, I, what I learned this week is that he was a Scottish preacher, pastor, during the mid-1500s. And you probably don't remember this from uh, your world history, but the queen at the time in Scotland was somebody named Bloody Mary. And she got that name because she was so kind. (laughs) She didn't. She was called Bloody Mary because during her reign, some 280 Christians were burned alive. Like she just saw fit to, to... to do everything she could to put down Christianity. That's persecution, y'all. And so some of these were actually John Knox's friends, okay? So like some of his pastor buddies that he's going to the pastor's conference with, you know, like he's hanging out with, he's talking ministry with, they are burned alive during, by this queen. And so I don't know about you, if there ever was a reason, if there ever was a cause to just throw deuces and shut it down as a preacher. He had it. He walks away from ministry. Everybody goes, I get it. Like I, I, I totally understand why you're making that call. You've got buddies who have been burned alive. Shut it down, go to the house, church is done. But he didn't do that. And it was said years later at his funeral, and, and there's not even a, a name attached to this statement, but one of the people that spoke at John Knox's funeral said this, here lies a man who never feared the face of man. Here lies a man who never faced the fear of man. Man, that's wrong. 
Here lies one. Here it is. Can we rewind? Yeah, that didn't sound right coming out. Here lies a man. <laughs> that is so good. All right, all right, here we go. Here, we go. here lies one who never feared the face of man. That's much better, isn't it? Thank you, thank you. Thank you. I can read, I just can't speak, all right? If you'll ever wonder why my eyes are down a lot, it's because I read better than I speak. But here lies one who never feared the face of man. That's a big deal. That is a huge deal. John Knox, though his best friends were burned alive, he continued to preach the gospel and he was not afraid of even Bloody Mary. He was not afraid of his own queen who was putting them to death. Man, what a word to be said. Could that be said of you? I'm going to tell you. Right now, if I were to die, nobody's saying that. I hope by the end of my life, if God gives me more years, that maybe I can make up some, some, some fearfulness that I've already shown. But I allow too many people to affect the way that I live my life. I allow too many people to discourage me and, 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 and uh, just cause me to not live the way that God has called me to live. John Knox lived out the idea that Paul is getting at. He stood and contended in the face of opposition with fearlessness. But listen, this idea didn't originate with Paul here in Philippians 1. Jesus himself told his disciples in Matthew 10, 28, he says, don't fear those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. <laughs> Jesus is saying, in the big scheme of things, what can man do? Paul picks up on that later. What can man do to me? That's what Jesus is hinting at. The only one that we should allow to change our opinions and our plans and our life is God, not our opponents. We cannot live in fear of man and fear of persecution. The big reason why we can be fearless is found in number two. The second thing Paul says, church, be assured. As you face opposition, be assured. This is... The end of verse 28, he says, This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God. Paul says to be fearless before our persecutors and also assured. But what can we be assured of? That we are in Christ, that we are saved. When we stand and we contend against opposition to the gospel, it's to be a reminder. It's supposed to remind us that we've been saved by Christ's blood and that we've been made new. Just like we just sang about. Because Jesus makes this statement. This is one of the weirdest, just most haunting statements that Jesus makes in his ministry. And I can just imagine his disciples kind of had some questions about it probably. He says this, You will be hated by everyone because of my name. <laughs> That's an encouraging word, isn't it? It's, it's almost depressing, right? Everyone? Jesus said, like, what do you mean by everyone? Everyone, that's what he meant, right? Everyone will hate you because of my name. But what you got to understand, that as depressing as that was, they also recognized through Jesus' teaching that life came through what? His name. Right? So, yes, people will hate you, Jesus said, but because of the very same name that people hate you, I'm giving you life. I'm giving you life. These statements of the disciples and the, uh, to, from Jesus and then the statements of the church are not unique to just these situations. The same truth stands for us today. When we have an opportunity to stand or contend against opposition, to stand in the face of persecution, we should be reminded 
that our eternal home is certain and has been once and for all secured in Christ. Every day may feel like a battle, and in all honesty, it does to a lot of us. The workplaces you're in, the families you're in, whatever the case, it can feel like an absolute battle. The sins you find yourself entangled with, it can feel like a battle. But what you need to recognize is that even in the face of the battle of life, we can know that the battle for our soul has already been won. We can be assured that as we face the opposition that's in this world, we are secure in Christ. If we have, as, we, as, as I asked those three baptism candidates, have you turned from your sin, repented of your sin, is all of your trust in who Jesus is alone? And have you committed to follow him the rest of your life? That's what we see salvation being. If you and I have done those three things, then we can be assured, we can stand assured in the face of opposition. And the third one is the weird one. I'm not going to lie. It was, it's weird. It's strange to think about. You can add a question mark after number three if you want. Not only can we face opposition fearless and assured, we can, uh, I, I think Paul's also saying, church, be honored. I'll even add it with a question mark. Be honored. Look at verses 29 and 30. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I continue to have. Paul says, church, it has been granted to you to suffer from God. The idea is a privilege. It is a privilege to suffer persecution. That's, what Paul, that's what's going on here. That's what Paul says. Isn't that backwards and weird? Doesn't that make your head go, huh? But it's a privilege to endure hardship for the hard hardship for the sake of the gospel. The Philippian church was probably experiencing some major persecution at this time. Now listen, 21st century America, we got to talk about it. What I mean by persecution is not having to say happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas at the Target. Okay? That's not what's going on here. Okay, we're not talking about mean tweets or <laughs> Facebook slams. We're talking about real life and death situations that are affecting much of what they did as a people and what they were able to do as the church. So I want you to think, man, just 21st century here, okay, America. What would you say? What what do you, what do you see said to a church family? that seems to be experiencing persecution from the outside. You know what's happened? You know what's happened in my lifetime? Churches have sued. Churches have literally sued other organizations because of persecution. Now, whatever, however you feel about that, whatever, okay? But that's, that's one idea. The other way is we say, hey, man, just stay away from that. Stay away from that. Just, just you know, stop live streaming your services or whatever like just do your own thing just avoid that persecution paul says don't fight it paul says don't avoid it relish it church this is this is this is crazy okay but paul is saying it is a privilege to suffer persecution for the cause of christ James, Paul's not, he sounds crazy, but James said the same thing. James 1, 2, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, when you experience various trials. Great joy? 
James, are you smoking the same thing Paul did? What are we doing? But how, how, can we, how are we supposed to face this persecution with an honored feeling? This is what Paul says, going back to Philippians. Paul says first that we are sharing in his own sufferings. Look at verse 30. He says, Since you were engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had in the past, and now hear that I have continuously. Paul says, hey man, I'm out here struggling just like y'all. Remember, where's Paul writing this letter from? Prison. Prison. Paul's saying, I'm struggling just like you. We're in this together. And for the Philippian church to be considered alongside of the Apostle Paul would have been extremely encouraging. right? For them to be treated the same way Paul was treated would mean, okay, we're doing something right. We must be doing something right. We must be, we're, we're, we're striving to preach the gospel and live out the gospel in our lives just like Paul taught us from the word and we're getting the same response from the world that Paul did. That's a good place to be. That's what, Paul's, that's what Paul's saying. They knew of Paul's trials. He had been beaten and stoned. He had been run out of town. He had been left for dead. And now he was in prison. And for them to be treated similarly, it would have brought good pride to their hearts. It would have brought confidence that they were doing the right thing as they lived out the gospel that Paul had taught them. And this is the only thing that Paul speaks of here, but I want to show you another from Peter, just to show you that it's not just a Paul and James idea, that Peter talks about this too in his, in his first letter that he wrote uh, to multiple churches, chapter 4. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual Weird were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Peter says, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ. So let's look at them. Paul says it is a privilege to suffer. James says consider it joy when you suffer. And Peter says, rejoice when you suffer. Why? Because you are sharing in the sufferings of Paul and of Christ. Not only do those who are persecuted share in the sufferings of the apostles, like Paul, Peter, and James, they're sharing in Christ's suffering. They're being treated just like their Savior. Jesus was beaten and killed by persecutors. If we are saying that we are following him, how in the world do we get the idea that we're not going to be treated similar to him? That's why Jesus said in his ministry, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Nobody, no student is above his master. If they killed Jesus, persecuted him, when you and I live our lives right, we will experience the same thing Jesus did. We'll experience persecution. So let me ask you this. When someone makes fun of you for being a Christian or treats you poorly... Is your first response to smile and feel honored? Probably not. Probably have one of two responses. Some of you are fighters. <laughs> Some of you are fighters. And you're going to get back in their face and probably to totally lose your, <laughs> your witness in that moment because you're going to tell them like it is and probably do your finger like this at some point. There's another response, though. Those of us who, those who may uh, internalize things. You may walk away from that going, God, I'm trying to live for you. 
Why is this happening? Right? Why, would I, why would I face such difficulty? See, when you and I experience hardships, as Americans, for goodness sake, who deserve to be treated with respect, <laughs> right? <laughs> that's the way we live. That's the way we act. We don't react to persecution and opposition the way that the Bible actually calls us to. Paul, Peter, James, Jesus. It's a pretty good starting four. You throw in Andrew, man, that's a killer lineup. But those four guys have spoken in the word and said, Experience, uh, expect persecution and enjoy it. Enjoy it. It's a privilege to experience the same sufferings of all four of those guys or the three apostles and Jesus. So we need to be ready when opposition comes. We need to be ready. Let's be fearless. Let's be assured. And let's be honored. The questions on the table today are this. If you are experiencing persecution right now, how are you handling it? How are you handling it? Are you lashing back? Are you feeling defeated? Or are you doing the things we talked about today? If not, how can you begin to see the persecution that you're facing differently after studying this passage today? How are we going to respond to those that speak poorly of us this week? And if you're not experiencing persecution right now, if you're not, why? If you're not experiencing persecution right now, why? That's a tough question to ask, but it's one you need to wrestle with often because sometimes it's because you don't look any different from the world around you. Uh, Kelly bought uh, for Elsie Joe a Where's Waldo book recently. You guys know where, y'all know Where's Waldo, right? Why don't I get an amen with that? Y'all don't love Where's Waldo? Me and Kelly love Where's Waldo. That's our jam. And if you're one of these weirdos who circles him with a marker, when you go to the library, you're a jerk. Just come on. Let, let the rest, I won't even let Elsie Joe mark him, and it's our book. Because I want to be able to open it up anytime I'm bored and try to find him. Anyway, um, sometimes, see, where's Waldo? All the rest of the characters in there, right? There's always a similar color pattern. There's always a similar, everybody's dressed similar, but there's always one goofy dude dressed in a red and white striped suit. And when you see him, you can't unsee him. If you and I live our lives, sometimes we don't live our lives like where's Waldo? We don't live our lives standing out. We want to blend in with everybody else. We want to wear the grays and the greens and whatever else they're wearing. Instead of putting on the red and white, I'm thinking of blood and being washed clean now, the red and white, but to put on that of Jesus, right? To, to, to live like Christ in front of the ones around us. So sometimes if you're not experiencing persecution, sometimes it's because you look too much like the rest of the world. Other times it's because you hang out with everybody just like you. You're a Where's Waldo hanging out with other people dressed in red and white. And you don't stand out. There's no one there to persecute you. Listen, both of these are wrong and should lead us to repent today. And I've done my own repenting this week. So y'all got some catching up to do. If you 
find yourself not facing persecution, ask one of those two things. Is it because I'm looking like the rest of the world or is it because I don't hang out with anyone else from the world? As a pastor, that's really easy to do. I can go to meetings and hang out with my staff every single day and never speak to somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Church people, I can hang out with y'all, encourage y'all, and I can go home every night and lay my head on my pillow with never having engaged with someone. I want to challenge you as I've challenged myself throughout my ministry. Hang out with people who don't know Jesus. If you're at a workplace and all you have are Christians in your workplace, you need to go to a coffee shop. You need to go to a place and when you hear people cussing and taking the Lord's name in vain, you found the right place. Settle in and go there regularly and try to, try to live for Christ there. And if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior and ask him to change you as we've just talked about, through this baptism, you need to know that Christ suffered so much more than you ever will. He gave up his own life. The spiritual pain that Jesus went through to buy you salvation is more than you and I will ever experience. And he did it all just so that you could be made right with God. Just so that we could stand before God and have a relationship with him. You can turn from your sin today and believe fully in Jesus. When we do that, God changes us and we come up new, brand new. If you need to be baptized or you want to talk to us about joining our church as we've got so many that we're moving through that process, we can have that talk too. But I pray um, as we've opened God's word today, I pray that you're leaving with something. Um, So this time of response is a time for you to ask, what is it for me today? What is it that God is challenging me with? What is it that God's encouraging me with? Um, you, if you need to repent of some of that stuff that we talked about or if you need to come talk to me about any of those decisions, I'll be down front. Uh, worship team, y'all come on up, start making your way up. And I'm going to voice a prayer and then uh, we're going to stand, we're going to sing, and you respond as God leads, okay? Let's, let's bow our heads. Father God, we do come before you. Um, God just uh, got overwhelmed with this message today. Uh, God, our natural tendency when we face oppositions is to either fight or run. Um, but God, you've called us to do neither. God, you've taught us, you've told us in your word, God, to just enjoy it, to enjoy the suffering as a privilege that you've allowed us to take part in. God, that's so hard to take. But I pray that, God, for each one of us, God, that we would find rest and peace in that today. And that this week, God, if we face any kind of ridicule or comments from people in our life, God, that we would just find peace in that and know that we're probably doing the right thing when we experience persecution. Father, we love you and we thank you for the example we have in Christ and the salvation that we have in him. God, you stir among your people today and lead us to repentance. In Jesus' name, amen.